Welcome to the Servants Feast Christian Ministry Podcast with Rev. Elizabeth Moreau. Elizabeth wrote the From Call to Scent Discipleship series that includes six books and two retreats for the intellectual and spiritual development of Christians in the local church. In Elizabeth's From Call to Scent series, she often tells us there is more. Christianity is so much more than just attending church and Sunday school. The riches of our faith are beyond what we can hope or imagine. Jesus tells us that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Elizabeth passionately teaches the treasures of Christian life to the end that we grow and mature and experience an abundant life in Christ. Her reflections on topics and issues of the day always point to Jesus with the purpose of advancing his kingdom. She desires for us all to understand the deep and rich heritage we inherit from the historic and universal church. In Romans, Paul tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. With this thought, let us continue our journey of transformation and renewal as Elizabeth shares her teaching through this podcast. Well, welcome. This is Elizabeth, and I am glad to have you here listening, and I appreciate your, you taking time to listen to the podcast. I hope life is treating you well. I must say, life is not treating me that well today. This is like the 17th time I've tried to record this podcast. Apparently, we're having some serious technical difficulties, primarily operator-related. Have mercy upon me, O oh Lord. Anyway, I know there's a lot going on in the news today and stuff, but um, I also know there are a gazillion different commentators who can talk about that. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold fast with what I intended to do. I intended to start up a series today, um, a series on topics that um, on the mind of Christ and how the mind of Christ is different from the world. I talk about the world a whole lot and say, you know, uh, in the world you see this, we, we as Christians should think this. And so I wanted to kind of defend that a little more. That's the task of apologetics that I talked about at the beginning of the year that I've talked about repeatedly. It's the way in which Christians look at everything through the lens of the gospel. And, you know, um, the mind of Christ is different from the mind of the world in which we live. It's becoming harder and harder for us to discuss in the public square um, what what a Christian thought would be or what a Christian response would be or what a it, the public square does not allow a Christian perspective which means that it's harder for us to try to make sense of our world from a Christian point of view as well okay I mean if if we're going to live in a world that doesn't allow the possibility of Christianity then how are we going to respond as Christians right apologetics began for almost from the beginning is the defense of the Christian faith against um, against what other people believe is that when people challenge it you'll be able to give a response to it but it's not just a defense of the faith it is also an explanation of the faith for us as believers that we need to understand probably the greatest um, apologist in in early church history was Saint Irenaeus he died in 202 AD but he wrote a five volume work against heresies and he defended Christianity it was very thorough in which he took on every different thing that people believed at the time and he explained why those things were false and I'm no Irenaeus but um, we're going to try to follow in his footsteps a little bit and and take a look at why Christian belief is correct and the world is false in what it believes and and there is much there's a great deal of falsehood running through the world right now it's a serious issue it's a it's a challenge for all of us uh where so whatever world event we're looking at we want to know how christ looks at it so i think we ought to begin with a word of prayer hear my prayer heavenly father have mercy upon me a sinner and save me 
We ask that you open our hearts and minds to the knowledge and love of you in Jesus Christ. Grant that we may receive your Holy Spirit for the healing of our souls. Illumine our thoughts and enliven our hearts. Teach us in this time so that we may know you in your Son, Jesus Christ, and live. These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, the first thing I need to say is that I am not suggesting that I always know what Christ is thinking. Uh, that would be that would be extremely uh, grandiose and completely false, right? Um, there are a great many topics, however, that we face in our world today that have already been debated by the church. There's there's the old famous the same Solomon said it. There's nothing new under the sun. Two thousand years is a lot is a long time with a lot of Christians, a lot of great thinkers, a lot a lot of great faith, a lot of uh, profound and deep belief and communion with um, with God that can be passed along to us. And most of us are unaware of the heritage that we have. And so I think that. Um, the crucial challenge for the church today is realizing and learning that Christianity is not solely a matter of faith. If you if you listen to commentators, they talk about uh, religious faith often as as if it's superstitious, and that Christians are um, are are not very intelligent, and that they that uh, that believing in 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 God is. Uh, what is it, a crutch or something? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I have not found it to be a crutch. I found it to be very difficult to believe in God and be obedient to God. He is a wondrous God, but I have not found it easy to follow him, being headstrong myself. But anyway, um, Christianity is certainly not solely a matter of faith. And, um, and, and I would say to you that I think that it is actually the most reasonable and most rational way of understanding the world in which we live. I, I don't think that it's irrational at all. Most um, most basic beliefs that we have, such as belief that God created, impacts every aspect of our life, and we want to understand how that's reasonable and rational, rational, and how that impacts our belief. Right? We're in the middle of a divide in the United Methodist Church, and we have the new denomination, the Global Methodist Church, that's, that's starting up and stuff. And it's because there are two completely different ways of of understanding the world involved. Right? How much knowledge in the world, and so it comes down to these questions. How much knowledge in the world do we accept, and how much knowledge should we reject, right? And what is accurate knowledge, right? And here's the thing, something that you'll never, you'll never hear anybody admit very, you know, anybody outside the faith. The Western world has no idea how much it owes to Christianity. I mean, truly, it does not. It has no idea how much it owes to Christianity. You know, we think that, and this is not an uncommon thought, we think that we can maintain or recover and maintain some sort of humanistic vision um, of, of life together without any religious belief, that we can all be good and that we can, you know, um, uh, have a functioning society and stuff without any kind of religious belief. But I want you to hear me say that that is not possible. right? The, the heritage of Christian faith, whether you believe in God or not, things like the idea of equality, or things like the idea that slavery is wrong, or things like the idea that women are not chattel that you that you can exchange or whatever by or use as will. Those are unique ideas that came out of the Christian faith and out, out of the Judeo-Christian uh, uh, in some degree. But um, polygamy was still legal in the 11th century or practiced in the 11th century by, by Jews was when it finally died out. So I know that Christianity is is in itself... You know, um, Western civilization owes so much to Christianity, and we don't have any idea that people don't know that is is because we have made it easy not to bother to learn, 
right? And so that's what we need to do. We need to begin to we need to begin to learn. We can already see in our society the degeneration of behavior, of human behavior, the callousness that we have, the lack of respect that we have, the way we treat people, um, and it's only going to get worse. All you have to do is look at history to see how people will treat one another. And human beings are capable of great evil. It is really astonishing. All right, I was a uh, I was watching a video the other day. And it was um, an interesting video. It was, the, it was a, an interview with this evolutionary biologist, and he was talking about the transgender issue. And he was being interviewed because he was opposed to allowing children to transition, right? He said, you know, uh, they need to wait until they're adults. And I, I agree with that. Uh, the guy uh, was, uh, but, he, but a lot of people are very upset with that opinion that if children want to do that, I'm like, well, good Lord. When I was a child, I, you know, I'm pretty sure that I wanted to be able to fly, that does not mean my parents should have found me wings. And that's essentially his argument. Children want to be a lot of different things, and those things change over time, and that a five-year-old is not, is not um, in a position to decide what's, what's best for him or her, right? And if they want to transition as an adult, he's fine with that. But anyway, apparently his position was a very controversial position and he, uh, that children should not transition, and that's a very controversial statement. Who would have known? But anyway... Um, but he responded about his being controversial. He responded to a question from the interviewer, and he said, well, you know, he said, I've dealt with controversy before. He said, I responded to all those creationists or whatever about a decade ago, and he said, I responded to all that bogus science of intelligent design. I made people mad. I'm okay with that. I'm thinking, really? Really? You, you responded to all the science of intelligent design, bogus science? This is a very smart man. I don't want to detract from that at all. He is a very smart guy. Um, but this is what our young people are learning in school. I want you to understand how directly and how, how, how overt that was. He said, I've responded to all creationists and the bogus science of intelligent design. And he never even batted an eye. He just kept on going. And that is what our children hear in school day in and day out. From the very first introduction of science uh, to them at their earliest age, that is how it's approached. And it has a huge impact on our children and our grandchildren. Today, roughly 35 to 40% of adults reject Christianity, young adults reject Christianity because of science. That's fascinating, because of science. Because here's the thing, if God created, which we confess to believe, we believe that God created uh, the world, God created everything that is, right? Then there is not going to be science that does not make sense with Christian faith. It's not, you know, it's not possible to have science that does not make sense to Christians. I'm not saying that every one of us has the ability to do science or read, you know, use the tools of science. I'm not saying that all of us have the ability to uh, use do all the calculations or, you know, measure the expansion of the universe or look at, I don't know, DNA cells. But science and faith cannot be in competition. And it should make sense with what we know of God from Scripture because if God created, then all science is the study of the mind of God, what he envisioned, what his imagination was. And the history of science actually is an account of numerous deeply religious people who were seeking to understand God. It arose in West and the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition because they were seeking to understand God. And by exploring his creation, they believed that the Creator would be revealed in his creation, and indeed he was. It's absolutely amazing. Now, I know that today's scientists think that they've overcome religious belief, but they are wrong, all right? And what we need to be doing is we need to be making sure we are teaching our children that. They need to understand that. Science is good, but it does not negate God at all. Indeed, it cannot. 
negate God because he's the creator. And the attempt to negate God is an effort of human beings, not a science, not authentic science. I want you to look around in American culture, and I want you to tell me that people, people are better for their faith in science instead of faith in God. Are people better, superior? Are we more, I don't know, more alive, more happy? Are we, more, are we better human beings? Do we love? Do we create greater things? Are we doing ever-increasing, you know, increasingly impressive acts of, of art and music and, and stuff? Do you see all that? I don't. The further we move away from God, the lower is the status of human beings, and we are living right on down to that. We have less intrinsic value to one another if we don't believe in God. When we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we are making a substantive claim about the nature of creation, from human beings to countless galaxies. I mean, it doesn't matter. You can start with a DNA molecule, with microbiology or medicine. It doesn't matter. We are making a substantive claim about the nature of creation when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We are saying that the God we worship not only understands the whole creation, but he formed it. He knows how it is supposed to work. He designed it, and he has authority over it. All right. The Nicene Creed is more specific than that. It says the creator, uh, that we believe in the creator of all that is, seen and unseen. And that necessarily means that there is an unseen beyond the horizon of our physical vision. You know, if you read the, the Bible, it tells us the world is inhabited by spiritual beings, good and bad. And if you take Scripture seriously, it says that we are in the middle of an ongoing spiritual battle, that, that, that evil is real, and that we, that our, you know, we struggle against uh, powers and principalities and, and, and darkness, not against, not against flesh and blood. There's a prowling lion out there looking to devour us. You ever encountered that? It's really killer. If you haven't, pray to God for protection that you don't. You know, if God created, that means that we are not free to use the world any way, however we wish. We're not. Um, this is his world. And it has myriad implications for us in every aspect of our life. It has implications for medicine. If God created, it has implications for medicine. It has implications for our environment, how we treat the environment. It has implications for population. And um, uh, uh, if God created people, if he gave people life, it has implications for population, for global warming. What does it say, the global warming? To believe that God creates speaks directly to the issue of abortion, for example. If God created, everything refers back to the Creator, who will tell us how it's to be used and how it is to be um, uh, cared for and, and what, it, what it really means. Human beings do not have the power we think we have, nor do we have the rights that we assume we have. Um, I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with CRISPR technology. Okay, CRISPR. It is the splicing of genes. It's genetic modification. It's, it's the splicing. It's the splicing of genes, right, uh, to change genetic makeup. It's, it's supposed to be used to treat diseases, and I'm sure that it is. I don't have any reason to believe that it's not being used for that. But it's also there are also endless possibilities. Once you start splicing genes and injecting them with other stuff, I want you to imagine how. What, the, what are the limits on that? The possibilities are very dangerous indeed. One of the things, one of the articles I read a couple of years ago was about designer babies, about splicing genes so you could design the baby that you want. I want it with this IQ. I want it with this hair color. I want it with this eye color. I want it to have whatever that you want your child to have. Okay? 
designer babies. That was one of the concerns. I think there are other concerns out there as well. There have been some suggestions, some some indications that um, China is already using it to enhance its military. Um, they they don't mind how many people die from um, from what do I say? They, they don't mind how many people die from oh, spliced genes from the gen- genetic. Um, Mal- malfunction that they create and when they're trying to create a perfect thing but they are adding nano computers and splicing genes using that technology to create um superior you know military um, individuals fighters warriors you don't want to come up against that person in in a battle because they're going to be tougher and bigger and stronger and smarter and faster than we are than a regular human being and china doesn't care how many people it kills as it tries to locate that the other thing I want to say is, as we as we progress in this direction, is that God will only allow so much leeway. Sometimes evil prevails. Certainly, sometimes evil prevails. Good heavens! But God is loving, and He allows evil so that we will know to look for good, so that we'll know that the longing of human beings is not found in a broken world. All right, but He limit He has limited patience, you know, with the arrogance. That we're gonna we're gonna run up. In, think about the Tower of Babel, where they're gonna build the tall, tall tower, and they are going to make a name for themselves, and they're gonna reach the heavens, and they're gonna be the highest up there, right? Um, now, what did he do? He scattered them here and yon here. And, so I don't know where God draws the line in terms of human arrogance and human hubris and our usurpation of of his role. uh, But I do know that there is a line, and there's only so much he'll tolerate. And I have the feeling that we may be getting close to that line when you start genetically altering human beings to create superior warriors and perfect babies by whatever definition you you want to use. And that brings me to another point. Um, And I'm going to talk more about this in another podcast. But the single most important thing for all of us to realize is that the world we know and the world we experience is not God's good creation. We live in a fallen and a dying world. And our overt rejection of God, our complete denial of his existence and stuff, has dire implications for human knowledge. Because we do not understand ourselves to be broken. We do not understand ourselves to be flawed. We don't understand ourselves to be... I mean, we, we may understand brokenness, but it's, it's fixable, we think, in, in this world. We're going to be able to fix it all. And um, everything that we see is a broken version of what it's supposed to be. And if we're ignorant of that, ignorant of that reality, then there is no limit to human hubris. We're willing to try anything because there's no consequences. And we're playing with creation, God's creation. We're using compromised material when we do so. And that has huge implications for science, thinking about CRISPR. Think about, we're going to make genetic alterations of genetically faulty material using genetically, I mean, or I guess limited or faulty human minds. Uh, You know, I mean... Every, every step along the way is flawed, and we're just com- we're, we're compiling and combining all the flaws and all the faultiness, and we're going to try to make something better out of it. And I think that's incredibly dangerous. We are very arrogant about our science, and we're far too sure of what we, of what we think we know, and we don't know that much. You know, when I think about how invested the world is in science, I especially think about evolutionary science. i got to tell you, 
I loved Charles Krauthammer, and he died in 2018. He was a political commentary, but commentator, co- commentator, excuse me. But anyway, he was also a medical doctor. He was a psychiatrist. He was a very interesting guy, and um, I was he was he was talking about people who um, deny evolution one day. And so, in the course of talking about that, he says, "This is true." He says. Um, well, of course evolution is true. It, evolution has to be true. All of our medicine is based on it. And I want to go, well, you didn't say anything. That's not an argument. It has to be true because all of our all of our medicine is based on it. That's not an argument for evolution. And understand, I think Charles Grammer is very smart. But that's not an argument for anything. That's a circular argument. Because we've based our medicine on it, it's true. And it's true because our medicine is based on it. And we base our medicine on it because it's true. And that doesn't make any sense. It's just one saying after the other. So I'm not trying to debate an evolutionary biologist here because I'm not a scientist. It could be true. I doubt that it's true, but it could be true. All right. But what gets to me is the absolute certainty about science and evolution. Do we not realize that once people were absolutely certain that all of creation was made up of the elements of earth and water and wind and fire? That the, the, the quintessential element, the fifth element, was spirit. And all medicine was based on that. And it was all wrong. There's no sense in our society today that we might be able, that there might be something more to learn, that we might not know everything. And I think that's kind of scary because the minds of the people who are supposed to be doing all the research and exploring, you know, the possibilities and exploring and looking at our natural world to the best of their abilities, those minds are closed. Well, all of our medicine is based on that, so it has to be true. Well, all of our medicine was based on the other, and, and that turned out to be all wrong. It was false. So the people who are supposed to be researching and discovering what is true and what is false have closed their minds. That ought to terrify us. You know, when I graduated from high school, excuse me, in 1979, um, I certainly believed in evolution at that point in my life, and college reinforced that belief. I mean, everybody knows that it's true. That's sort of the the Krauthammer argument there. Everybody knows this is true because all of our medicine's based on it. I knew it was true, right? And based on what? Here's what here's what I wanted us to to realize. As soon as somebody says everybody knows this. I think we should be careful with that statement. That ought to be a warning flag. If your evidence is that everybody knows, then you don't really have any evidence then, do you? You're just appealing to, this is a general consensus and and stuff, okay? Sometime during my seminary years, probably eight or ten years after college, um, I read a book by Michael Behe, and his name, uh, the book's name was Darwin's Black Box. I don't remember who, who encouraged me to read it. But anyway, I'm not a scientist, and I can't, uh, I can't tell you a whole lot about it, but it was very interesting um, I didn't have enough dis- knowledge to decide what was right and what was wrong. So anyway, I was very interested. There wasn't a, a, a deal at the back. He argued that a mousetrap is a three, you know, there's only three different um, um, parts to a mousetrap. And the, you have the spring, you have the latch, and you have the, the board it's on. So anyway, he, he said, if you shake that box how many different times, out pops, you know, how many times do you have to shake it before you out popped a mousetrap? And of course, Think about the odds of that. It's statistically impossible. But anyway, um, I thought it was a very interesting argument, and he had cited all these different scientists. So at the end of the book, there is this section where scientists could refute him. He invited them to respond to what his argument was and stuff. And I was eager to see that because I had never heard anybody say that evolution was not accurate or that it was dubious or questionable or anything else. I'd never, you know, I'd never, this is the first time I'd ever encountered that thought. 
right? And so he offered these scientists, and, and one scientist responded. One, only one responded to all that was in there, right? And he corrected Behe for a misquote of, of his own work. He did not say that, that Michael Behe was wrong. He just said that he misquoted him on this one spot. And I can remember being stunned. There was not a single refutation of the evidence that Behe gave. Not one single bit. Nobody offered a single response to the evidence that he offered. Okay? And I remember thinking, can't anybody answer him? And the answer is, no, nobody could. Nobody could, re- nobody could respond to that. Now, that was 30 years ago. And the situation is not better now for science, just for the record. In fact, it's worse as, as uh, discovery continues. Right? Evidence increasingly points to a creator. It is, if you look at the, the DNA, right, that we're splicing so, so brazenly and so bravely, we're going to go in there and, and mess around with DNA. If you take a look at that, it has, it is so, the, the coding inside DNA is so um, complex. It's far more complex than, say, a computer code anywhere that anybody writes, right? Um, it's, it's multiplied kind of exponentially by degrees greater than and more complex. And it couldn't have happened one little thing at a time. It had to occur all at once for it to be a strand of DNA, a cell, a DNA molecule, right? It is, it is really astonishing when you look at the complexity of just a single molecule of DNA. Okay, and so I will say, that, so then the question is, why do scientists hold so adamantly to evolution? You know, um, I mean, you know, I, 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 there are other there are other things that I can um, that I'll talk about in another podcast, maybe and probably the next podcast that I do about um, about about discoveries that are in because I think that it's fascinating to read, and uh, we take all this stuff and we just assume absolutely this is certain, like that young man who says, you know, I, I, "I dealt with all the um, intelligent design people." And I go, "Probably not," you know. Um, so anyway, if science is is if, if you're following science truly, then you're probably not going to end up at evolution, really, I don't think. But wh- So why do scientists hold to it so adamantly? Like what, what is the purpose does it serve? I mean, scientists are su- supposed to explore that new evidence. Aren't they supposed to prove it and disprove it and stuff like that? The answer should be obvious to every Christian. The answer to that question, why do scientists hold so adamantly to evolution? The answer should be obvious to us. The greatest challenge to our own, is, our, is, is this, to our own obedience as Christians. This is the greatest challenge. Evolution gives human beings freedom from God. It means that we are not answerable to an outside authority greater than ourselves. We get to do what we want. You know, it grants human beings final authority over everything, and that is at heart, at the heart of the rebellion against God, human rebellion against God. I want to be God. Do you, how would you like to have knowledge equal to God? It wasn't that the serpent's offer in the garden? Science is now, um, is now uh, addressed with a capital S. I believe in science, capital S. It used to be God with a capital G, right? I believe in God, the Father, capital F, whatever. And, um, but now we've replaced that by a capital S for science. I believe in science, right? And, it's, and understand, that is a form of, like, faith that's not entirely built on evidence. You know? Uh, the illustration that, uh, the illustration I think is the best, uh, is, is, you know, science, we know science gets it wrong, right? Um, 
think about all the diets that they've told us that we should eat. We should eat high-protein diets. We should eat um, low-protein diets. We should eat carb, high-carb. We should eat high-fat. We should eat this. We should eat that. You know, you should not eat eggs. You should eat eggs. You know, you should not have alcohol. One, well, a little bit of alcohol is good for you. <laughs> it, they can't make up their minds what's right. And that is just what, what, what food you put in the body, Okay. There are 74 different, you know, suggestions about what we ought to be eating, what is healthy, and, you know, what, 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 is, what is nutritious for us, right? So let us turn to the, return to the evolutionary biologist in the interview. Again, very smart guy. I don't want to pretend he's not smart. And uh, he dismissed all Christian belief. Has, there is no pretense in, in him of any, any belief in the existence of God. He is absolutely certain that no God exists, Right? Human beings are autonomous, and we can do whatever we want. And so he's apparently unaware that science is the product of the Western Judeo-Christian tradition, our belief. It arose from belief in God. You know, science came from the belief that nature would be like a textbook that taught us about our Creator. That's where it comes from. Science belongs to the Judeo-Christian tradition of the West, you know, it originates in the in God's design uh, that is the source of natural law. I was reading the early church fathers the other day on creation and what they had to say about it. And Basil the Great said, you know, God um, was deciding when he was creating, God was deciding how nature would act. He was talking about the creation pre-fall. And he said, he decided, I think Genesis 1, he was deciding how nature would act, right? Things like water running down and not up. Okay, God made that rule, and that's how the water was going to run. Now, they didn't understand gravity at that point, but he certainly understood that there was a natural law at work and that water was going to flow that way. It's going to flow down, not up. And uh, he knew that. And so science originates out of um, the Judeo-Christian tradition, and, and specifically, and it seeks to understand the mind of God better. And the origins of evolutionary theory and the ongoing commitment to it are the desire to be free of God. Those are in direct contradiction to each other. When we are free of God, then we will become more like animals that, that evolutionary theorists tell us, tell us we are. You know, it's inevitable. If they say you're only an animal, then we'll start acting like an animal. If you say you're the image of God, then we'll act like the image of God. We need to make up our mind who we are. And as Christians, we ought to know the answer to that. And I want us to think about human beings have a nearly unlimited capacity for harming each other in Horrible ways and horrific ways. Think about China right now. China has all the Uyghurs in they enslaved, right? And they are harvesting body parts to sell to other people from people who are still alive. Excuse me, you don't need that kidney. I'll just take it. Oh, your other kidney's working really well. I'll just take it and you can go ahead and die. Or you know, let me have your liver or whatever. And just they're harvesting. They're keeping people alive and using them for their body parts to sell around the world in the black market. I don't see how you can be much more evil than that. I did see a picture yesterday of a um, bombing in the Ukraine, and um, it had the word children on the front and the, and the back of the building to try to, it was a theater, and they were trying to convince the Russians not to bomb there. So Russia dropped a bomb right square dab in the middle of that and killed 600 women and children. How is that not evil? You want to tell me that evil does not exist? You want to tell me that we can do fine as a as a godless society because China and Russia are godless? In the United States, a lot of people don't want us to have a god, but I don't think we want to go without him because he alone is the one who calls us to be to rise above our most animalistic intents and our most 
animalistic desires. There is nothing stranger to me than the outrage over Roe versus Wade. Now, it's not surprising. I think everybody knew that there'd be a lot of outrage and a lot of upset over that or whatever. Um, but I do find it strange. Abortion's not going to be illegal. Um, this doesn't speak very highly of women. In my opinion, abortion's not, not illegal now. It's just returned to the states and let, let the people vote and decide uh, what, what they want in terms of abortion, what we think is uh, legal or illegal, what we think is right or wrong, that kind of stuff, and go back to the state. Um, you know, leave it up to them. Nobody's ruling that abortion is wrong, that uh, it's illegal, widespread, whatever. And I saw some reporting on NBC, and it was just completely, it was completely false. Texas has banned all abortions. That's not true. And, um, but anyway, for the record, federalism is in the Constitution. You know, the, the idea of states' rights um, is actually written into the Constitution, as opposed to abortion that is not written into the Constitution. Now, that is a political argument, and, and it's, it's, still accurate, but it's a political argument, right? But what is strange to me is the unbelievable irony of the outrage. We have protests occurring all week for the right to abort our babies as we approach Mother's Day on Sunday. Wow. You know, I don't, I don't understand how this makes women uh, freer or more respectable or lifts them up or makes them any higher or doesn't I don't see how it makes us um, admirable at all women today understand themselves in terms of denial and rejection of what makes them women and I'm, and I don't get that logic I, you know women have access to birth control do we deserve respect if we do not have enough sense to use birth control and Apparently, apparently, we think that we do that 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 our our rights as a woman hinge entirely upon whether or not we can abort our children. It's my body. That's right. It is my body. So I get to decide whether or not I'm going to have sex, and I get to decide whether or not I'm going to use birth control. You know, I don't I don't understand why the that we want to die on a hill for destroying our children. I'm a big believer in the diminishment of women by the feminist movement. It's supposed to empower us, but now we're apparently too irresponsible or too stupid to take care of ourselves, to take responsibility for our actions and our behavior. We talked about abortion before I have, and, and, but abortion can only be good if we do not have a creator. It can only be considered a good if there is no creator, because by definition, God creates. That is what he does. And every act of destruction and death are contrary to God. I'm not saying that every woman out there who's ever had an abortion is going to hell. I would certainly never say that. I'm far too sinful to be pointing fingers at anybody else. But I am saying we ought to be able to think about this you know, reasonably. And women screaming and yelling does not it, like in any way make me respect their opinions. Um, screaming and yelling, you know, I have a right to my womb. Well, yeah, you do. Be careful what you put in it. You know, um, I don't know. We want all this freedom from God, but freedom from God means enslavement to self. And I don't think we've realized that yet. But if you get miserable enough with yourself, you'll figure it out. In closing, I want to make a point. And this is, this is, this is important. Christians need to realize that without God, Western civilization is going to collapse. Our educational system, our entertainment system, media in every, in every form, all of these are pushing atheism. And we like believing that we have all authority because that, that, that draws every human being, whether you're Christian or not. 
You know, we're, we want to be free to create whatever we want but, and be whoever we want. The problem is that it's false because, you see, God does exist. It doesn't matter how many people deny him. God does exist. And science is ironically getting closer and closer to proving that the universe is not possible without a creator. That There has to be some sort of creator. But regardless, whatever Western civilization believes, whether it survives, does not alter the reality of God. I want you to have more courage and more confidence. When you walk around, I don't. We, I think we walk around kind of embarrassed that we believe in God. Don't tell anybody I'm a Christian because I can't talk about this at work or because people are going to think I'm superstitious or I'm not very smart because I believe in God. And I'm going to go, mm, yeah, no. It takes a lot of smarts. So anyway, you need to have, I want you to have, have more confidence in your faith. And, and I don't want you to be ashamed of being a Christian. You, there's no reason to be. Everything points to the truth of Scripture. Everything about human beings is visible in the Bible. More importantly, what we need to know about God can be found in the Bible, in the creed, in worship, and in prayer, where we encounter him. You see, Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. That was true 2,000 years ago, and it is true today. And supposedly, he dwells in you and in me, right? And that means that much of the world's future is dependent upon how deeply you and I live in Jesus Christ. And if we do not, then that many people do not know him. You know, I talk a lot about the world because we have been too accommodating as Christians. We look at it, the world and I think uh, we look around and we're like kind of afraid. We can't, you know, so we keep trying, you know, to try to figure out how to get along with the world. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go, you need to stop that. Don't. So what I'm going to do in these podcasts, is just like today, pick a topic, and, and I didn't even begin to scratch the surface. This could, you know, talk about God creating, right? I'm going to talk about science some more in the next podcast, about what some of the discoveries are and things like that. Because I want you to know that, they, that, that you have nothing about which to be afraid, from which to be afraid. The only thing you need to fear is, is your own personal rejection of God, that we, the, your own willingness to hide him or, your, or to compromise your faith, right? You know, we have no cause to be afraid. All that exists came from God, and all that is will return to him in some form or fashion. And, we're going, and I'm going to keep using this podcast time to take something that everybody knows and compare it to the gospel. There's so many things that we accept that we say, oh, this must be true. And it's in contradiction to the gospel. And next time I'm going to talk more about science. And I'm not going to talk about capital S science, but, I'm, but the work of scientists that seriously challenges prevailing views. I mean, why, does guy, why would I discuss something that invite, invites mockery? Because I want you to know what is true. I don't care if people mock me. I want to know what's true. It's, it's really common to hear. This is very common. Okay, we, 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 want, we all want to be on the right side of history. Only, you only say that if you don't know history. I mean, if you know history, you don't really want to be on the right side of history. History is a mess, right? No, you do not want to be. So what you want to be is on the right side of truth. You don't want to be on the right side of history. You want to be on the right side of truth, Okay. You need to follow the God who is the author of all truth, who has embodied truth in Jesus Christ, his son. You definitely want to be on the right side of truth. And so that's what I want us to strive for. As, as I'm trying to do today, I hope I made some sense. and give you food for thought. It's enough for now anyway, because I've talked until I'm hoarse. What I want you to think about is what it means to say, in him we live and move and have our being. In him we live and move and have our being. And that has enormous implications for every aspect of existence, for every human being, for all history, 
and for human destiny, for the future to come, for the universe. In him we live and move and have our being. Think about that. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. In the beginning, God created. Think about it. Pray about it. Let's close with prayer. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. I ask you, O God, to call your people to lift our eyes to you that we may see your glory. Send your spirit to walk with us, to guide our steps, and to remind us throughout each day of your infinite wisdom, as well as the safety we find in the shelter of your love. These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Until next time, y'all be blessed now. You hear? Y'all have a happy Mother's Day. Bye now. You have just heard the latest podcast with Elizabeth Moreau. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or whatever service you might use. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with others. Be sure to look us up on Facebook and like and share this podcast with your friends. Also, if you appreciate this ministry, please consider making a donation to Servants Feast Christian Ministry through our website. Join us next time as we continue to explore God's truth as it speaks to our world today with transforming love for all people.